Welcome to another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Today, we're going to be going to a very familiar passage in the scripture. And it's, it's a story that many of you have read, an account that many of you have read and heard preached numerous times, no doubt. But today we're going to take a different look at it. And I'm going to offer you a different perspective on it. And today, this word that I believe is from the Holy Spirit is designed by God to change your life forever. Okay? So just let it. Let the word of God just come fresh to you. Open up your mind right now. Open up your hearts, okay? And listen and see what God is going to share with us. I've never heard this perspective before, but this week when I was studying to share the message this morning, it just opened up as though it were just a revelation that had always been there, you know, and I may be the last person on earth to have seen this, but it just became such a, such a powerful uh, um, word to me, and I believe it will do the same for you. And the title of my message this morning is Changing the Subject Won't Fix the Problem. Okay? Changing the subject won't fix the problem. Have you ever tried to encourage somebody uh, that you love and you care about? You ever tried to encourage someone you love to, to do something that is right? Okay? You know, uh, you know, you ever try to encourage them, you know, um, um, you know, just do what's right, only to have them change the subject on you? Yeah, you ever have that happen? Yeah. All of a sudden, they want to change the subject, and, uh, or worse yet, uh, they insult you. And they, they start pointing out all the places in your life that you're not right. You know, you ever have that happen? I mean, you're really trying to help somebody. I mean, you really have a, a, a very, you know, a altruistic motive. You're not trying to hurt them. You're not trying to insult them. You're not trying to accuse them. You're not trying to offend them. You're actually trying to encourage them. You, you're, you're having a little personal intervention here, and you want to encourage them, and, 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 and you're just encouraging them with the truth, but they either change the subject to get out from under the pressure of the challenge, or else they, you know, attack you. You know, and uh, um, when people feel challenged, they often attempt to withdraw or attack. And sometimes the truth is challenging to us. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and people will even attack people that are trying to help them. And, you know, it's human nature to protect ourselves. And sometimes we feel attacked when we're not being attacked. Sometimes, uh, you know, we can feel pressured whenever we're actually, you know, uh, the person that is talking to us is actually trying, and they're doing us a favor. They're risking a relationship to share something with us that perhaps we don't see about ourselves, or maybe we've hidden about ourselves, or maybe we have just, you know, tried to cover over it or, or not think about it. Uh, at times, people try to protect themselves from the very truth that wants to set them free. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I know you've had that experience at some point in life. Either you've been someone that has tried to protect yourself and tried to just change the subject or maybe, you know, deliver an insult. Or else you have shared the truth with somebody and, and they have bit you, you know, bitten you. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, well, this morning we're going to read about a woman who needed help. Only she did not know she needed help. You know, I mean, she should have known she needed help, but... You know, she, uh, you know, it wasn't on her, you know, 
number one thing to think about every day. Okay? And, uh, uh, and so Jesus went to see this woman on purpose. He wanted to save her. He wanted to set her free. He went way out of his way to see her. And, uh, and, and, and yet, you know, uh, she had an appointment with him, but she didn't know it. But she became defensive, tactfully defensive. Okay? But defensive nonetheless. And she tried to change the subject. She tried to find some what I call high ground on which she could move to that kind of got her out of the hole that Jesus uh, said she was in. She tried to find some high ground, uh, you know, that, that, you know, a, a bigger issue. She tried to open up a bigger can of worms, you know. Uh, she tried to find some high ground she could stand on in efforts to protect herself. And, uh, and she even threw out some hot-button issues, some hot-button button topics, you know, um, in an attempt to cover up what she was doing with some smoke and mirrors. You ever have somebody try to, you know, uh, somebody starts sharing the truth and somebody else starts, you know, you know throwing out smoke and mirrors? And, and, you know, all of a sudden, you're no longer talking about what you were talking about. Now you're talking about something that, you know, then, then all of a sudden they're on high ground whenever, you know... How did that happen, you know? Well, don't you want to feed children? Well, uh, that's not what we're talking about, you know? <laughs> you know? Am, I, am I being plain? Okay, I know you at home understand this, but don't turn me off, okay? You listen, okay? When Jesus tried to help her, she did everything she could to get out from under this challenge and this pressure. When the tactic of changing the subject on Jesus did not work, she then insulted him and insulted his whole family. Yeah. Whew. Now, who in the world wants to insult Jesus? <laughs> but she insulted him to his face and his whole family. And finally, when nothing else would work, she just summarily dismissed him. You ever been dismissed? She just dismissed him. And everything that he said, just dismissed him. And uh, we're also going to take a look at what Jesus had to say about all of this. And hopefully this morning we can learn a lesson or two about ourselves. That's my hope. And that uh, we, whenever we come to a place where we may need to change and we may encounter the truth or we may encounter the Word of God or a preacher or a, a spouse or a friend that's wanting to share the truth with us, hopefully we can realize that, that changing the subject and insulting or attacking, withdrawing, dismissing is not necessarily in our best interest. Uh, you know, opening up a can of worms or changing the subject won't fix the problem. And uh, I would like for you to turn, if you would, this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and allow me to set the stage uh, for what the Holy Spirit is going to share with us today. Uh, the, John, chapter 4 uh, this account happens in about the year 25 A.D., give or take a year or so. It's in the spring of the year, in the late spring, in about April. About April of 25 A.D., uh, Jesus was 30 and a half years old. He had been six months into his public ministry, and this was the first Passover of his public ministry. He was born in the fall. 
And now, six months later, here's Passover. And Jesus had been doing many miracles during the last six months up in the Galilee. He had been healing people and, and all kinds of miracles and healings. He had been teaching and preaching. It was amazing. And now he has gone down to Jerusalem for the first Passover. And he's gotten kind of famous in the Galilee. So when he gets to Jerusalem, he's still kind of famous. And while he's at Jerusalem, he continues to teach and to preach and to heal and to do miracles. And I mean, everybody's going going, wow, and there are people at Jerusalem for the Passover feast from every nation, every representation of the Jewish community around the known world had come to Jerusalem. And so Jesus there, he's being seen by them as a miracle worker, you know, as somebody that teaches with authority and shares the Word of God in a way that they can understand it, it's hitting them in a different place. And so many people begin to believe that He is Messiah. And the Bible says that He baptized so many people, even though He did not baptize, but His disciples baptized in His name. That so many people, He baptized more people than John the Baptist baptized. People were saying, I want to follow Jesus. He's Messiah. And when Jesus knew that the Pharisees were really taking notice that he had more disciples than John the Baptist had, and they were baptizing more people, and more people from all over the world were now wanting to follow Jesus, saying that he was Messiah, Jesus felt like it would be best if he went ahead and left Jerusalem and went back up to the Galilee. Because Jerusalem was a real hotbed of political division and religious uh, jealousy. And Jesus knew it was not time for him to be crucified yet. Okay, He still had another three years. But he knew that, that he did not need to provoke those situations. And he decided it would be best for him to go back up where things were a little quieter and calmer, a little less politically enraged, a little less religious fervor, a little less hatred and anger, a little less jealousy. And there he could continue his ministry to disciple these 12 men and to heal and to teach and to preach. And he would visit Jerusalem occasionally, but not stay too long. And then he would go back and back and forth. Well, uh, Jesus, whenever he left Jerusalem, about April, in about A.D. 25, uh, give or take a year or so, he said and felt and believed that he needed to go through Samaria. Okay? Now, the Samaritans did not like the Jews. And the Jews, as a people group, did not like the Samaritans as a people group. Both of these groups felt like they were privileged. Both of them felt like they were the true descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not believe the other ones were. They still believe that today. There's still a group of people, Samaritans, living in Samaria, north of Jerusalem, that still believe that they are the chosen and the people in Jerusalem aren't. And the people in Jerusalem believe that they are the chosen and the ones in Samaria aren't. And they worshipped in two different places. One of them worshipped in Samaria and they believed they were supposed to worship in Samaria because Moses said, when you get into the promised land, go to this certain place. It's a place called Shechem, also in the New Testament called Sychar. 
go to this place, stand between the two mountains. One of them is Mount Gerizim, one is Mount Ebal. And I want you to pronounce the blessings of God on Mount Gerizim and the curses on Mount Ebal and go and worship Jehovah on Mount Gerizim. Well, the Samaritans believed that that command from Moses was a command that they should do that forever. And therefore, they believed that being in Samaria and worshiping on Mount Gerizim was the right thing to do because Moses said, go and do it. Well, Joshua led them there to do it and accomplish that. But the Samaritans, you know, read a little more into it. And, you know, here are the Jews worshiping God in Jehovah with the Ark of the Covenant down in Jerusalem. And so these two were arguing over where we should worship. Okay? That was the problem between the Samaritans, the main problem between the Samaritans and the Jews. All right? Well, Sychar, which we read about in just a moment in the Bible, let me, let me show you a picture of, 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 of this valley. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is the city, the old city of Sychar. Which is, uh, which is also in the Old Testament, New Testament, Sychar, the Old Testament, Shechem. Okay, see this little round circle right down in the, in, 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 in the lower part, a little bit to the left of center? See that little round circle? That is the very first altar that Abraham built in the Promised Land. He built it right here at this place. Jacob bought a plot of ground right here. And right here is where Joseph's bones were carried back to Joseph's tomb. If you look at that little circle, if you went up just a little bit and to the right a little bit and up just a, just a hair, only about a mile and a half away, mile or so, you'll find Joseph's tombs where his, where, where, where his bones are buried, okay? Uh, where Joshua, in the last chapter of Joshua, buried the bones of Joseph. And, and, uh, and if you look to the right... Uh, oh, let's see, look to the right of that little circle, all the way over, almost to the edge and up a little bit, you'll see a building with a red roof on it. Can you see that? Some of you may or may not can see that. Some of you at, at, at home, you may can see that. Well, that is Jacob's well. That's the well that Jacob dug right here in this valley. Across the way is Mount Ebal. I'm standing taking this picture on Mount Gerizim in the city of Samaria. I am standing in the city of Samaria. Over This is where Philip went to preach Christ unto the Samaritans. And the whole city, uh, with one accord, gave heed to the things that Philip spoke. Okay, Acts chapter 8. Today, this city is the city of Nablus, N-A-B-L-U-S, if you want to look it up. It's, it's, it, it's in Palestinian, uh, belongs to Palestinian, uh, 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 and, uh, and it's, it's, it, it's a very um, interesting, I will say, uh, somewhat dangerous place uh, 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 because of all the turmoil that's taken place in this region. And so uh, that right there, Jacob's well, okay, is where we're going to find Jesus going to talk to a woman from Samaria who went down to that well to draw water at noon. Why did she go at noon? Most people went in the early morning or in the evening. Well, it's because she did not have a very good reputation in town. 
and other women might not want to associate with her. Okay? And they went to draw in the morning, and they went to draw in the cool of the evening. She went in the heat of the day, made this little walk down there and back. Well, okay. So uh, you, you, you get the picture here? All right. Well, uh, let's, you know, I can't tell you the story better than John did. So this morning, stick with me, okay? Uh, I'm going to read quite a number of verses in John 4, and then we will talk about um, this little woman and Jesus' interaction a little more. Ready? John 4, New King James Version, verse number 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon, 12 o'clock. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <laughs> the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship, where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, uh, let's, let's look up here for just a moment. This Samaritan woman knew that Jesus was a Jew. Upon finding that he was also a prophet, uh, you know, who knew her past and who also knew her present situation, perhaps she felt a little uncomfortable. I mean, Jesus just pointed out to her, you know, uh, listen, you know, uh, something to be embarrassed about. Maybe she felt judged. Maybe she felt condemned. Sometimes people can feel judged by Jesus. They can feel condemned by the preaching of the Word of God. Whenever they hear someone share something with them that's truth, sometimes people can kind of want to withdraw or, or you know, change the subject, which, you know, we, we see her doing. Who knows? But for whatever reason, uh, Jesus just identified himself, I mean, as a, as a true prophet. And she knew he was a prophet, but she wanted none of that. Okay, She didn't know what he was capable of saying, <laughs> the other things he was capable of revealing. You know, no doubt there were some other things in this woman's life. And, and so, you know, she just decided what I'll do is I'll bring up a real divisive topic. I'll just, you know, I'm going to change the subject and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to move us to a place where, where we have a right to argue back and forth. I'm going to bring him down from his prophet status and I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, for whatever reason, she decided to change the subject. In, in, in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now, let's get the attention for a moment, as this woman is saying, you know, all the attention's on me, okay? I've had, okay, I've had five husbands, and the one man I'm living with now, I mean, uh, let's get the attention off the fact that I'm a flirtatious, man-stealing adulteress with loose morals and no shame, and let me move to some high ground and give us something that we're more equal on so that we can argue. What a tactic. Played out over and over and over by human nature. Let's get, let's get the heat off me for a moment, okay? Let's, let's, let's you know, uh, you know, uh, let's, you know, it's an age-old smoke and mirrors tactic. Let's, let's talk about something I can defend. Let's talk about something that, that, that we both have equal opinions on. So that if anyone else hears, I mean, we're in my territory. Anybody hears us arguing, they're going to take my side. You know, we'll gang up on you. The woman just wanted to get the light and the heat off of her. The age-old tactic, you know, my high ground move trumps your truth. <laughs> oh, come on. This is good stuff. Let me hear a glory. glory. Oh, come on. Let me hear a good one. Glory. glory. All right. <laughs> Only, you know, uh, you know, feeling like your high ground move trumps the truth. Only it never does. Changing the subject won't change the truth. Notice the first thing she does in her defense. She insults Jesus. You Jews. Woo! She said, well, there are a few things that are more inciting, that are more insulting than being robbed of your personal identity. 
than being marginalized and treated as though that you don't have a brain for yourself. You can't think for yourself. You're just a part being lumped into some people group that I don't like. Hello? You Jews. You Hispanics. You whites. You blacks. You Asians. You Democrats. You Republicans. You Christians. You, you're all alike. <laughs> I mean, she just insulted him. She just, I mean, put him in his place. <laughs> Notice that Jesus does not let this go, by the way. She's just said, you Jews. Jesus said, listen, in verse 22, you worship what you don't know. I'm not letting this go. You're not going to insult me and get away with it. Let me tell you something. You don't even know what you're worshiping. We know, us Jews, we know what we worship. And by the way, salvation is of the Jews. You wouldn't even have a chance to get saved if it wasn't for the Jews. Quit dissing my people. Come on now. Basically, don't be dissing the Jews, lady. If it wasn't for the Jews, there wouldn't even be any salvation. I have a feeling that Jesus could argue every people group and every contribution. Jesus told her, listen, God is looking way beyond whether or not a person is a Jew or a Samaritan, way beyond whether you worship in Samaria or Jerusalem. Jesus is looking and God is looking way beyond these little walls you put up and these, 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 these hedges and, 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 and self-protection. Verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, she didn't really have a comeback for that, you know, and probably feeling a bit out-argued, you know. Have you ever, you know, tried to help somebody and they have a comeback or an insult or an attack and then you give them something back that they can't argue with? Well, I know that you passed out in the yard last night. Don't tell me you don't have a problem. They can't argue with that one. And when you give them something they can't argue with, what do they do? They just want to dismiss you. They want to get, and, and that's what she did. You know, uh, she had tried to high ground. She had, you know, changed the subject, tried to find a safe place. Uh, but now she can't. She's just going to end the conversation and dismiss Jesus. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. You know, hey, look, we both have opinions. We both, you know, we both have problems. We both have opinions. And one day it'll all be settled, but right now, shut it off. You know what that means? That means shut up. Okay? What is she saying? She's indicating that, that we can keep talking over and over, but, you know, your opinion is no better than my opinion, and my opinion is no better. We, we, we're going to have to wait until Jesus comes, and then he'll decide who's right and who's wrong. I mean, how many times have you said, that, well, when Jesus comes, he's going to send you to hell? Anybody ever tell you that? Boy, you just wait till Jesus comes. One day in heaven, one, you'll see I'm right. <laughs> oh, come on. You haven't been in as many arguments as I have, I guess. One day you'll see. One day you'll see. You know? and, but, but for now, what that means is shut up. Your opinion is no better than my opinion. 
I'm sorry, changing the subject doesn't change the truth. And, and you know, uh, trying to get the light off you won't, won't fix the problem. And, and you know, uh, you know uh, and, and, and dismissing somebody who's trying to help you. Just ending the conversation, shut up. You know, one day, I mean, you know, one day we'll all know. One day God will settle this. Yeah, not today. Not today. What she's saying, she's basically saying shut up. This woman is not acknowledging that Jesus is right. She is not taking any responsibility for the fact that this prophet has just shared with her that, lady, you have a problem. I came here for, she doesn't even realize that he came for her. She has successfully moved the light off of the fact that she's had five husbands and she's living in adultery at this very moment. She has successfully escaped that one <laughs> once again. Reckon how many times she'd escaped that one. Reckon how many of her neighbors had tried to help, how many of her friends, how many of her family had tried to help her in times past to no avail. Now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has taken his time to come and meet her personally. She had an appointment with him. She did not realize it. And he here is trying to help her, not hurt her. He's the living Word of God. The living Word of God is always trying to help us, not hurt us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And it's the truth that sets you free, but she has successfully sidestepped this truth, this challenge, one more time. Right, you know, uh, 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 and, you know, she must think herself very clever, real clever, right up until the moment that Jesus revealed to her who it was that was talking to her. She said, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us where we're supposed to worship and, you know, all that stuff. So our conversation is over, but it wasn't. Because in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I am God. And what I have said to you is truth. And it's not going to change throughout eternity. My word will stand forever. I believe it was at that moment when Jesus revealed who he was to her that that opened up her heart for the first time. I know when he opened up my heart and revealed to me I had heard his word. I had sidestepped every challenge to change from every person that ever tried to help me. And from the, even from the preachers and the messages that I heard, I could easily get the light off me by thinking that preacher was a hypocrite. By pointing out the problems that the people who were trying to help me were having in their lives. I could easily say, oh, you're no better than me and my opinion's as good as yours. Until one day, Jesus revealed to me who he was and what his word would do for me. It would set me free. Jesus said, what I'm telling you is not just another opinion. I am God. My word is truth. What does this account teach us today? In closing, I offer to you that, number one, the problems of this world are not an excuse for my problems. Yes, the world may be divided. 
They may be arguing over what's right or who's right or where we should be or what people group that we should identify with or, 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 or distrust. But, you know, the problems that this world has and the arguments and the divisions that this world has, political divisions, racial divisions, economic divisions, cultural divisions, the problems of this world, they're not an excuse for my problem. They're not an excuse. They don't give me a right to live wrong. They don't give me a right to be prejudiced, to be hateful, to be vengeful, to insult. Are to attack others. The problems of this world are not an excuse for my problems. The second thing that I learned from viewing this account in this perspective is that the Word of God is not just another opinion. It's the Word of God. It's not just another opinion. And it's not good enough to read the Word of God or hear the Word of God and say, well, you know, one day. One day Jesus will interpret that correctly. You know the correct interpretation of it. Righteousness is righteousness. Holiness is holiness. Sin is sin. And the Word of God plainly and clearly points out sin and righteousness. You don't have to wait for Jesus to come to know what's right and what's sin. You don't have to wait for a higher interpretation. It's in your heart. You know. And the fact of the matter is, the Word of God is not just another opinion. It is of no private interpretation. It cannot mean something different to you than it means to me. That's not the truth. One God, one Word, one way. It's Jesus Christ. And His Word is truth. And it will never pass away. The third thing that I learned from this passage is that changing the subject won't fix the problem but an honest conversation with Jesus will how long has it been since you've had an honest conversation with Jesus how long has it been since you have sat down and talked to him about your sin about your failures, about your fears, about your worries. Not just tried to cover it. Not just tried to cover it with, 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 with some faith confession, although I believe in faith and confession. And the weak should say I'm strong. But in your private moments with Christ, He already knows what's going on in your heart. And you should have faith in Him after He has given you His Word. You should trust in His Word, but it does no good to try to hide things from Him or, 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 or to imagine that an honest conversation with Him won't fix something. Have an honest conversation. Not just a prayerful moment, but an honest conversation. Sit down and tell Jesus about your fears. Don't tell the whole world. You may not want to tell anybody else, but you can tell Jesus about your hurt, about your pain, about your fear, about your worry. You can tell Jesus about your failures. You can talk to Him about your sin in an honest way. Not in some religious, prayerful way, but in an honest conversation because He has the words of life. He came to this well to meet this woman. She didn't realize she had an appointment with him. 
but he went out of his way to help her. He is going out of his way to help you today. You have an appointment with Jesus Christ. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you alone. You know, not with all of his disciples or all the other preachers or ministers. He wants to talk to you alone at the well. He will give you a living water and you'll never thirst again. She said, give me of that water. But she was only looking for, you know, physical help, physical water. He was talking about something much greater. Salvation is something much greater and will last an eternity. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your home. Invite him into your situation. Changing the subject won't help. It won't fix the problem. But an honest conversation with Jesus will. Talk to Jesus today. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.